Take your Bibles once again, open them to Galatians chapter 4. Do you remember some years ago the movie, I'm sure you do, Remember the Titans? One of my favorite all-time movies, mainly because one of the most memorable scenes from the movie is when Denzel Washington, who was the new high school football coach, gets in the face of one of his players as the team is boarding the bus to go off to camp. Watch this clip. I'm Gary Bertier, the only All-American you've got on this team. You want any of us to play for you? You reserve half the open positions for Hammond players. Half the offense, half the special teams. We don't need any of your people on defense. We're already set. Uh-huh. Don't need none of my people. Mm-hmm. What you say your name was uh, Jerry? Gary. No, you must have said Jerry like Lewis, which would make you Dean Martin, right? Ladies and gentlemen, got an announcement to make. We got Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin going to camp with us here this year. Jerry tells the jokes, Dean sings the songs, and gets the girl. Let's give him a round of applause. Which folks? Gary. Parents, are they here? Where are they? That's my mother. That's your mama? Mm-hmm. Very nice, I want you. Take a good look at her. Because once you get on that bus, you ain't got no mama no more. You got your brothers on the team, and you got your daddy. Now, you know who your daddy is, don't you? Gary, if you want to play on this football team, you answer me when I ask you, who is your daddy? Who's your daddy, Gary? Who's your daddy? You. Uh-huh. And whose team is this? Is this your team? Or is this your daddy's team? Yours. Mm-hmm. Get on the bus. Put your jacket on first. And get on the bus. Uh, Dean? Fix that tie, son. I love that movie. <laughs> and I love that scene. <clears throat> but I want to just say that actually um, uh, he asked the wrong question, um, who's your daddy? Because really the most important question, at least spiritually speaking, is who's your mother? If you've got your Bible open, I want you to look here at the passage here in Galatians chapter 4, where we find that the important and crucial question that you and I need to answer is, who is your mother? Paul talks about two mothers here. He wants the Galatian believers to think about not Abraham, their spiritual father. He's already referred to Abraham as their spiritual father, as the one through whom the promise of God has come through. But he wants them also to understand that you belong either, spiritually speaking, to Hagar, who was a slave, or Sarah, who was a free woman. Paul says that by forcing Christians back into the bondage of legalism, the Judaizers were proving that Hagar was their mother. 
So spiritually speaking, we all need to answer the question, who's your mother? Friend, here's what I want you to take from this last section of chapter 4 this morning of Galatians, and that is the law itself both teaches and illustrates that salvation has never been through the law, has never come through legalism. Well, let's look. Paul uses the law itself, the Old Testament scriptures, to argue that believers are saved by grace and not by keeping the law. And he develops his argument in three ways. First of all, I want you to see the biblical account or illustration that uh, Paul refers to. So go back, look what it says here in verses 22 and 23. He says, for it is written, he, remember now, he asked in verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? And now he's going back to the law, to the Old Testament scriptures, and here's, he's saying what it says. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now the story of these events is told in Genesis. God had promised Abraham to make Abraham a great nation. But he didn't have any children at the time. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, was barren. Abraham was now in his 80s. Every time he gazed at his reflection in the pool of water, he could see his wrinkled face and his old white beard. And I'm sure he was getting discouraged. After years of unanswered prayer, Sarah remained childless. And in desperation, she said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 16, verse 2, she said, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Well, the servant was an Egyptian slave named Hagar. She conceived and gave birth to a son named Ishmael. We find that in Genesis 16, verse 15. But God had not forgotten his promise to Abraham that through his son, the, uh, the, the he would be blessed and the, the nations would uh, be uh, spread because of his promise, would increase. So he came to Abraham and said in Genesis chapter 17, look at it up there on the screen. He says, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will become nations. You see, because of God's promise, Sarah conceived at the age of 90. Abraham was 100, but, and they, she gave birth to a son and named him Isaac. Now, so now Abraham has two sons. 
one from Hagar, the slave woman, whose name is Ishmael, and now one through the promise of God, through his wife, Sarah, whose name is Isaac. Now, there were many similarities between Ishmael and Isaac. For instance, they both had the same father, Abraham. They were both circumcised, and they grew up in the same home. So there were some similarities between the two boys. But for all their similarities, there were differences as well. For instance, their legal standing was different. Their status in the eyes of the law. Although the boys had the same father, they had different mothers. From their respective mothers, they inherited two different legal standings. Ishmael's mother was a slave, so he was born a slave. Isaac, on the other hand, was born the heir of a free woman. Another difference was the manner of their births. Each son was conceived differently. Ishmael, according to Galatians 4, verse 23, was born according to the flesh. He was conceived in the ordinary way. But Isaac's conception was extraordinary. Remember, Sarah is 80 years of age. She is barren. She is past the age of childbearing. Abraham himself is an old man. However, look what it says. Ishmael was born according to the flesh. He was conceived in the ordinary way. But Isaac, look in verse 23, was born through promise or according to the spirit, if you look in verse 29. So Isaac's birth was the result of God's supernatural intervention. The writer of Hebrews confirms this. He writes in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, look what it says. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promise. So whereas Isaac was a gift, Ishmael is what Abraham got by doing things his own way instead of God's way. See, Ishmael's conception represents man's way of doing things, the way of the flesh, whereas Isaac's conception represents God's way, the way of promise. One son came by works, the other by faith. One was a slave, the other was free. So Ishmael and Isaac represent two entirely different approaches to religion. Law against grace, flesh against spirit, and self-reliance against divine dependence. So that's the story that uh, Paul reminds these Judaizers, these false teachers who were trying to get the Galatian believers to go back into legalism, not to give up Christianity, just to add legalism to their Christianity. And Paul says, why do you want to do that? You're free. You don't want to be a slave like the, the Jews have been to the law all these years. Don't do that. And so he gives them this illustration from the Old Testament scriptures. Now Paul explains what this scriptural illustration means 
to the believers. So look in the second place at the spiritual allegory in verses 24 through 27. Paul says in verse 24, now this may be interpreted allegorically. Now an allegory, as we know, is a story in which specific people a place, an event, stand for deep spiritual truths. Probably uh, the most famous allegory would be The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. In that uh, story, the characters have names like Christian, Faithful, Hopeful, and they travel to places like Doubting Castle and the Hill of Difficulty. Bunyan, you see, was telling a story to make a spiritual point, and that is what Paul is doing here. To understand what Isaac and Ishmael represent, you have to start with their mothers. So let, look what it says. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud. You who are not in labor for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. This analogy is complex. If you take it step by step, you have two mothers, Hagar and Sarah, with their two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, who stand for two covenants, one of works, one of grace, which correspond to two cities, the now Jerusalem or the earthly Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem or the heavenly Jerusalem. So let's look at these two mothers. First of all, let's look at Hagar and see what she represents to us spiritually. Hagar and Ishmael stand for the old covenant of law and works that God gave through Moses at Mount Sinai. And it required God's people to keep all of the rules and regulations that he gave in conjunction with the covenant in order to receive God's blessing. In other words, God gave the law at Mount Sinai and it was incumbent upon the people to keep the law, to observe all the rituals and regulations in order to receive God's blessing. Anyone who attempted to satisfy God and gain freedom from condemnation by trying to live up to that covenant in their own self-effort and self-righteousness was spiritually like a child of Hagar, the slave woman. Why? Because as much as they struggled to obey the law, as much as they tried to be obedient to the law, they could never obtain God's blessing by their own efforts because they would fail time after time after time. And so they remained enslaved to the law. And so Hagar was the perfect woman to represent the old covenant. The old covenant meant slavery to the law. She herself was a slave and all of her children are slaves like Ishmael. So friend, listen, 
Anyone who is in bondage to legalism is one of Hagar's spiritual children. Anyone who reduces Christianity to a list of do's and don'ts is a religious slave bound to a master from whom they could never escape like Ishmael. That's who Hagar represents. Well, let's look at the other mother, Sarah. What does she mean to us? Abraham's wife, Sarah, was a free woman. She never was a slave. The son born to her by promise was Isaac, who was also free. So Sarah represents the new covenant, not a covenant of law, but of promise, of grace and faith. In the new covenant, God does not say, thou shalt or thou shalt not. Instead, he says, I will. I will be your God. I will redeem you. I will give you the free gift of eternal life. You see, in the old covenant, it was what man could do for God. In the new covenant, it's about what God has done for us. That's important to understand. The new covenant is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of grace, which gives salvation through the death and the resurrection of Christ. So the new covenant does not match up with the present Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem, but with the Jerusalem above, which is free. And Paul says in verse 26, she is our mother. So if the present Jerusalem, that which is geographically located in Israel today, if, the, if that Jerusalem, the present Jerusalem, represents the Jewish people, then the Jeru and the institution of the religious institution of Judaism, then the Jerusalem above represents the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, anyone who receives Jesus as Savior and Lord is a son and a daughter of Sarah, a true child of Abraham. If we belong to God's family in this way, we are free in Christ, just like Isaac was, just like Sarah was. We are citizens not of the present Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem, the now Jerusalem, but we are citizens of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, and we enjoy the freedom of that eternal city. You see, Paul was pointing out in this allegory the difference between spiritual slavery and spiritual freedom. Those who try to justify themselves by keeping the law are the slave children of Hagar, but those who are justified by faith in Christ are God's free sons and daughters. I have good news for you this morning. 
If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of the heavenly Jerusalem, and Sarah is your spiritual mother, not Hagar. Well, Paul's argument concludes with a personal application. Look in verses 28 through 31. What does this mean for you and me? What he says, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. He's talking to the Galatians. So also it is now. And he's talking to us today. So also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Well, as we've noted, Abraham had two sons, but only one of them received the promised inheritance. So the crucial question again is, who is your mother? Paul wanted the Galatians to see that they had become free sons and daughters of Sarah through God's promise. Look in verse 28. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. Now he had said earlier in chapter 3, flip back to chapter 3, and look what it says in verse 26. He says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And then in chapter 3, verse 29, he says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So anyone who has faith in Jesus is a true child of God in the line of Isaac and made an everlasting heir of heaven's eternal riches. But before the ultimate fulfillment of that promise is realized, when we get to the heavenly Jerusalem, we must keep in mind a couple of principles. First, if you're the son or daughter of Sarah, spiritually speaking, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, then in this life, as Peter reminds us in his letter, you can expect to be persecuted. As members of God's family, we should expect to be persecuted by our half-brothers, the sons of Hagar. Paul uses the analogy of Isaac and Ishmael once again. Look what it says in verse 29. But just as that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Let's go back to the story, to the illustration um, uh, that Paul uses, and let's go uh, dig a little deeper. Although these two boys were 14 years apart, in a born 14 years apart, the two siblings were rivals. In Genesis chapter 21, we read where Ishmael, who at the time was 17, Abraham was throwing a celebration because Isaac had been, he had become of the age to be weaned. And so I, Abraham was throwing this celebration. Well, 
Ishmael begins teasing his little brother, Isaac. But it's not just teasing. He is treating him with contempt, we read in verses 8 and 9 of Genesis chapter 21. Paul says here in Galatians that Christians should expect the same kind of treatment Isaac received from Ishmael. That's what was happening in Galatia. The sons of Hagar were persecuting the sons of Sarah. Jews were persecuting Christians. Gentiles who had come to faith in Jesus Christ were being opposed by Judaizers who would not let them live by God's free grace. Friend, just as Ishmael ridiculed his half-brother Isaac, legalists persecute believers. Persecution is the opposition that Christians face for speaking and doing God's will. And it can include ridicule, it can include loss, it can include violence, even martyrdom. And it's been this way throughout history, beginning with Jesus himself. The religious leaders of Jesus' day opposed, mocked, condemned, and finally executed the Lord. The Judaizers in Paul's day made life, made Paul's life in ministry difficult, as well as for those who took a stand for the freedom that comes through grace. During the Reformation, popes and kings brutalized Protestants who took a stand on the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith. In our own day, legalistic Christians can make the Christian life miserable for true believers with all of their do's and their don'ts, with all of their self-righteous judgments against what you do, where you go, who you hang with. I mean, their life's goal is to make you miserable. And it goes all the way back to Ishmael, who could not stand his little brother Isaac and would not only uh, uh, mistreat him, but, but treated him with contempt. And it has not changed since. Everyone spiritually who is in the line of Hagar and Ishmael hates those who are of the line of Sarah and Isaac. And there has been this spiritual battle going on ever since. So anytime somebody comes to you and they, they have this idea that you need to do this and you need to do that, you need to just look at them for what they are. They are enslaved as Hagar was and as Ishmael was to legalism. But don't ever forget, you have been set free by Jesus Christ. In our own day, legalistic Christians make life miserable for Christians, overwhelming them with lists of do's and don'ts. There's another principle that you need to keep in mind. Not only should you expect to be mistreated and persecuted even. Secondly, we must recognize the absolute incompatibility of man-made religion and God's gracious provision. 
One reason Christians are willing to be disliked or even persecuted is because they know what God has in store waiting for them in heaven. Those who are not God's children have no such hope. Paul says, but what does the scripture say? Look there in verse 30. Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. You see, Ishmael never received his father's inheritance. Although Abraham had asked God to give it to him in Genesis 17, God blessed Ishmael in many ways, but he never gave him the promise of salvation, which was only for Isaac and his descendants. So the day finally came when Sarah said to Abraham, Genesis chapter 21, verse 10, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Friend, it was right for the slave to be cast out because God's promise of saving grace was only for Isaac. So God said to Abraham in Genesis 21, verse 12, whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. When Paul quoted Sarah's words here in Galatians chapter 4, he was telling the Galatian believers they needed to drive out the Judaizers, the false teachers, the sons of Hagar, and their legalism right out of the church. And friend, it is no different today. The church cannot stand by and idly watch the people of God be attacked by those who are still enslaved to legalism. Paul says, you are free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Friend, God still works today the way he worked with Hagar and Sarah. Salvation comes only by grace, not by works. Righteousness comes through faith, not through the law. Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts. It is the good news about salvation for sinners through Jesus Christ. So I ask you again, spiritually speaking, who is your mother? The slave woman, Hagar, or the free woman, Sarah? If your spiritual mother is Hagar, then you are in bondage to religion. Religion dictates what, that you have to do something in order to be saved. If your spiritual mother is Sarah, then you've been set free by God's grace. Grace invites you to simply believe and receive God's free gift of salvation. When the Titanic struck an iceberg and sunk in the icy waters of the North Atlantic, 
On April the 15th, 1912, on board was a 39-year-old Baptist pastor from Scotland named John Harper. Harper was traveling to America to preach at the famous Moody Church in Chicago. And along with him on the trip was his six-year-old daughter, Nana. Nana was with John Harper because his wife had died a few years earlier, so he was raising her as a single dad. As the ship was sinking, John Harper placed his daughter Nana into a lifeboat, but made no attempt himself to get in with her. Instead, he began to run up and down through the ship, trying to save as many women and children and unsaved people as he could. He gave his life jacket to a man who said he wasn't a Christian. And Harper said, here, you need this more than I do. As the ship slipped beneath the surface of the icy waters, the water was filled with people clinging to pieces of debris. Of the hundreds of people floating in the water, only six were rescued. One of them was a man who met John Harper in the water that night. Four years after the Titanic sank, this man shared his testimony at a church in Hamilton, Canada. And here's what he said. He said, I am a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone on a spar that awful night, the tide brought John Harper also on a piece of wreck near me. Man, he said, are you saved? No, I said, I am not. He replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The waves bore him away, but brought him back a little while later. Are you saved now? He asked. No, I said. I cannot honestly say that I am. He said again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. A short while later, he went down. And there alone in the night with two miles of water beneath me, I believed. I am John Harper's last convert. And I just say to you this morning, when you're in icy water, hanging on to a piece of wood, facing the prospect of death, there are no religious acts that you can perform. The only thing you can do is believe. Is believe. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. After the tragic news of the sinking of the Titanic reached both shores, family and friends wondered about the fate of their loved ones. After a few days, every major newspaper in the United States and England published the names of the passengers. There were only two columns. One column was entitled, Saved. The other column was entitled, Lost.
at the end of time, when the Lamb's book of life is opened, there will only be two categories, lost and saved. Under which column is your name written today? It really comes down to who your spiritual mother is. Hagar, the slave woman, or Sarah, the free woman. For freedom, Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 5 here in Galatians, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your grace.